Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. It's been a minute. Taking a, um, not a planned hiatus by any means, it's just been, like I said, I think on the last podcast, I've just been kind of in a funk, a really unproductive funk, and work has been really crazy busy lately. It's, <laughs> it just shows no sign of slowing down, and now that uh, people are getting together more often, there's more entertaining, which means more catering trays and stuff to do, which means more work for Rob, still same amount of hours to do it in. Mm. Trying to think of what's been going on in the meantime, in the interim. Well, I made big time on uh, Apple Podcasts, I finally got a one-star review. (laughs) There was no comments about why Down in Heap was so crappy. Just a one-star drive-by. <laughs> but but I was kind of, I was amused by it. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. I, I don't take the time to really, I've reviewed a few podcasts, but only ones I really like. I've never really even considered like giving a bad review to someone. I just don't listen if I don't like the, <laughs> the show, but whatever. I I think it's cool that someone actually wanted to uh, try and give me a hit. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, um, so a couple weeks ago, I think it's been now, Fourth uh, of July weekend. In fact, on Fourth of July, Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends and Random Screed and his cousin Hawk came up from Illinois to visit the Twin Cities, and he notified me that he was going to be up in town and wanted to get together and do some gaming, so he invited me over to a kind of a playtest session that Julian from the Spellburn podcast was doing. He was uh, doing a conversion of an OSE module to DCC rules, so he invited me to come over, so I played a game of DCC with Julian, Judge Julian, and then Hobbs, Hawk, and three other guys I don't know, Aaron, Brian, and Bill. And not Brian and Bill for my gaming group, obviously. Two other guys named Brian and Bill. But it was a lot of fun. I played a cleric, um, as usual, kind of crazy DCC hijinks uh, (laughs) were had. Uh, at one point, Hobbs unleashed some kind of burning hand spell and spell burned considerably and got some kind of uh, really good result where he turned into a flame-spitting pillar of fire, essentially, and killed all of the adversaries that were kind of swarming around us, but at the same time killed <laughs> two of the PCs. Uh, friendly fire. And at the end, uh, Hobbs' chaotic wizard kind of turned on the rest of the party and he was trying to, um, become, or become the avatar or something of, uh, well, turn this demon that we inadvertently summoned into his patron. And, uh, we managed to banish or slay the demon or whatever, but at the same time there was, uh, a PVP thing at the end and Hobbs, uh, drank this potion that just had lightning on the label and it basically turned him into a big flashbang and he uh 
killed several of the PCs that were nearby, including himself, and uh, <laughs> took out my cleric. So there were only a few players or characters that survived the adventure, but it was a lot of fun. It was very fun to play in person again at a uh, in a game where we got together at Julian's home, and uh, yeah. So thanks to Julian, Hobbs, Hawk, and all the other guys that uh, were playing. It was a good time and just fun to be doing some face-to-face -face gaming again. But what I've really been neglecting, aside from my show in general, is the old Barrow Maze 10th anniversary came and went, and I had promised that I was going to do some kind of Barrow Maze Appreciation Day, and never happened. So I'll try and make amends here. Well, as mentioned, um, on his OSR Blether show a while back, Greg Gillespie mentioned that the 10-year anniversary of his first session of Barrel Maze was coming up on June 24th, and I was talking about doing a, a Barrel Maze Appreciation Day, and I was hoping that some it would catch on with some other podcasters and YouTubers or something, but uh, well, I floated the idea on my podcast and in the Audio Dungeon Discord. It went over like a lead balloon. Nothing came of it. Nothing. Crickets. So that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> it's also kind of disappointing that OSR Blether has seemed to have come and gone because Greg hasn't done any episodes in a long, long time. Maybe he's just busy working on his new uh mega dungeon project that i think is supposed to release this summer or something but maybe just the wind went out of his sails or something but regardless i'm here to talk a little bit about barrel maze and the game that i ran in barrel maze and what i really like about it so it's a mega dungeon normally i'm not such a fan of mega dungeons but I, I like Greg's in general for a few reasons. Here's my top five uh, features of Barrel Maze that I really enjoy. Number five, there's an actual random barrel mound generator in the back of the book. So this has a step one. It's just a really procedural way to create these random uh, barrel mine crypts. You roll some, there's a set of eight entrance geomorphs that you roll on. Then there's a set of uh, eight barrel mount, or crypt chambers geomorphs that you roll on. You roll for the crypt condition. It can be dry or flooded, ankle deep, flooded knee deep. Uh, you determine the, the door of the crypt. It's stone, wood, reinforced, iron, bronze, or just maybe an arch, archway with a portcullis. The crypt door is locked or sealed, closed or ajar. You determine entrance features. There's uh, 12 options there that can be uh, a variety of different uh, interesting things from statues and reliefs to thrones or strange pools you know your typical cool dungeon stuff you determine crypt contents is it empty is it empty with treasures or traps 
Does it have monsters? Does it have a unique feature? Or is it a plundered crypt? And then there's tables for all these things to determine what kind of monsters are the occupants? Um, what kind of... What are the occupants if it's a plundered crypt? Uh, and then tables for determining various grave goods. As well as uh, random traps that can be in there. And then there's an actual like barrel, mine, barrel mound crypt generator worksheet that has a little uh, grid for making a map for the crypt and then uh, for filling out the various chambers in the crypt. So this alone is a handy resource to have. Number four, monsters. Yeah, a big section of the barrel maze book is dedicated to statting out monsters uh, for Labyrinth Lord, in other words, for like BX. So many of these monsters are things that have been seen before, whether it's from like a Fiend Folio or I think Tome of Horrors by Frog God Games was a big inspiration for some of these things too. But I think some of them are actual creations by by Greg too. Each of these monsters has an illustration. They're all in, uh, well, everything in Barrow Maze, aside from the, the color, is just uh, black and white line art. It's, it's all really good stuff. I love the fact that, you know, this is statted out for BX because you can use it really for any kind of OSR game system, and it has a morale rating, which I love to have. And there's, I don't know, maybe like 20 pages of monsters, maybe more than that. And of course, a lot of it is undead, but there's also a lot of uh, stats for automatons and, uh, you know, uh, statues and golems and uh, oozes and puddings and all sorts of creatures like that, but other things like mongrel men and froglings, which are, you know, bullywugs, giant ants. So a lot of pest monsters, and then varieties of gargoyles, and um, I think there's even some elemental creatures and stuff too, but yeah, just uh, a very handy resource to have. Uh, so you don't have to be pulling out other books if you're running this game. Number three. I mentioned this in the my first Barrel Maze, kind of the, floating the idea of Barrel, Barrel Maze Appreciation Day, but it's modular. You can use this book as it's intended, as a big, connected mega-dungeon, but you can also utilize it and tear it apart and make just little little individual crypts or rather large crypts as well by just hacking out a portion of it or using the uh, you know the 60 odd barrel mounds that are this big huge barrel field above barrel maze you can use all those individual mounds as just either smaller barrel fields or individual barrel fields as a 
a one-off kind of one-page dungeon kind of thing as a as something the player characters run across in the wilderness or something or as a as a goal for for looting this tomb number two my second favorite thing about barrel maze is the aforementioned art this book is filled with great illustrations i mean starting with the the cover by Aerolotus um, is is great, but then just the the interior art ha- captures that really old school vibe where it's the monsters, it's the player character, the the characters kind of getting their asses handed to them. It's not just pictures of creatures and like glamour shots of characters but it also depicts a lot of adventuring action it shows people like opening up a a barrel mound with sledgehammers it shows characters running away from monsters or being ambushed by monsters or fighting monsters or pondering what to do at a crypt door or you know, looting a chest or something. So, I mean, there's, it depicts adventuring activities, which seems to be uh, a topic that's less depicted now. Like I said, it, it seems like more often in the art I see in supplements and games, it's these glamour shots, maybe landscapes, or maybe a picture of a monster, but it doesn't show like characters in relation to the monsters or monsters in the landscape showing how large they are, how small they are, what they're doing or anything like that. So I think the, the art in this is excellent. And the interior art, as I mentioned, the front cover and title page illustration are Aerolotus. Interior art is, and excuse me if I'm butchering names, but Zhu Baji, Z-H-U, B-A-J-I-E, Alexander Cook, Najej Diamond, Corey Hamill, Trevor Hammond, Jim Holloway, John Larry, Scott Lamine, Peter Pagano, Stefan Poag, Tim Truman, Jason Schultes, Stephen Thompson, and Tara Williamson. So, great job on the art and great job on directing the art. And last, my favorite thing about Barrel Maze, rival NPC parties. I love it when the campaign includes things like this. The characters aren't the only adventurers in the setting, and especially with some enormous mega dungeon where people are pulling treasure out of it and stuff. News travels. It becomes kind of like a boom town. So there's like a gold rush almost. And all these ne'er-do-wells and uh, <laughs> otherwise shiftless uh, money grubbers come bounding in. Or maybe do-gooders too. But you get all these rivals. And that creates not only interesting aspects to the game, how they're how the characters develop relationships with these rival NPC parties. Maybe they become allies, temporary allies, frenemies, or outright enemies. 
and it's almost like just separate groups of mercenaries or warlords or something trying struggling to uh extract the treasure from from uh this mega dungeon so uh greg has provided multiple pages of fully statted out rival npc parties uh for the characters to run into and then there's uh um, pre-gen characters that can be a, you know a, another npc party so i think there's seven rival npc parties uh ranging in power level but most of them are you know not gonna just be uh they're not superheroes let's put it that way they're they're uh um <laughs> what's the right word um they're peers of the the low level characters so there you go there's the my five favorite things about barrel maze and now i'm gonna go to the old halberds and henchmen site and take a look at the uh the session write-ups that i think bill mainly did for our old barrel maze game if that doesn't sound interesting to you then turn it off now otherwise stay tuned for some recaps So this campaign was back in 2017. I started up in, um, when was the first session? February 18th. No, I'm sorry, February 11th at Fantasy Flight Game Center. I had been playing mainly 5e, but uh, some other games too, Savage Worlds and uh, Castles and Crusades and DCC with a group of guys, and, uh, well, people, I should say, they were all guys, um, and it had become really a large group, um, almost too large, I think, because we were getting sometimes nine, even ten players at a time, and it was getting to be too big, and I kind of wanted to try out this, um, Halberts and Henchmen system that I was tinkering around with this fantasy heartbreaker that combined used bx as a chassis but then had elements from the old arcanum system from bard games and some elements from 5e just kind of a smorgasbord frankenstein's monster game system and um i wanted to start playing with some of my old friends too that i had played D with back in high school even junior high school so i got bill and john back together and uh, they hadn't played D&D in quite a while. For Bill, I think it had been, uh, well, probably like 25 years or so. And we started playing and had a few sessions and stuff. And then I got Barrel Maze and, and wanted to kind of transition the game into uh, into using this great supplement. So Bill had made up a, a halfling thief named Finn. And John had a elven magic user named Orson. <laughs> and and they were uh, kind of, you know, mercenary, shady, money grubbers. Orson especially kind of had a a dark kind of hint to him and stuff. Uh, and uh, they had gone through a few henchmen and stuff, but uh, I think Finn had, they might have both advanced to second level by now. And then Adam from the newer group of guys I had, I, I kind of wanted to get another player or two 
So I invited a few people or told people about it, and they could just come and play whenever we were. It was turn, turning into kind of a drop-in, drop-out game. So Adam had joined and made a, uh, a shaman named Takuli. And then when we started playing, the first session of Barrel Maze was uh, April 29th, 2017. And my old friend Neil, who also was uh, a high school player of mine, joined us and he made Gren Bastard, a fighter, kind of like a barbaric fighter kind of guy. So here's the, we'll start the recaps of this session. Neil joins us with uh, PC Gren Bastard. We are heading to the, to the village of Helix and the tombs outside of there. The tombs are rumored to have many jewels and gold. We stop in at the tavern named the Severed Hand. The barkeep mentions several parties have been through here lately and headed out to the tombs. Finn bought two finely crafted daggers from a dwarven blacksmith named Karg. In the tombs, we ran across a giant snake which killed Ivan, one of their henchmen, and brought Orson down to zero hit points, but he made his save to recover. We decide to beat a hasty retreat to safety. Beat a hasty retreat to safety. So, <laughs> it's funny because Greg Gillespie, when he's talking about the, his exploits with barrel maze and stuff too, he talks about how so many parties just bypass the barrel field, which is kind of low-hanging fruit. It's uh, There's more easier obstacles in some of these outer barrel mazes, and they go right to the, the main barrel at the center of the field that has a shaft going down in spoilers, going down into barrel maze. And that's exactly what my party did. They ignored all the outer barrows at first and just went beeline for the great barrow and went down the rope into the shaft and yeah they discovered this giant rattlesnake which was pretty fearsome for a low-level party so our next session was at dreamhaven in burnsville gren is back in his room with explosive diarrhea from some bad shellfish <laughs> so neil obviously didn't make this session uh, so his character was out with uh with dysentery. We are back at the Brazen Strumpet and Helix for breakfast. At the table next to us are seven humans and one elf looking over a map and talking amongst themselves. This is a rival NPC party. And then all caps, Bill has, hmm, maybe our party needs to be a lot larger. At the bar is a Dwarven blacksmith, uh, the Dwarven blacksmith card talking to the barkeep. We are waiting for a person in Osen to arrive, not to be confused with Orson. Uh, this is an NPC in Barrow Maze in the town of Helix. He is the head of the local Merc Guild, and we are hoping to hire a few for our return trip to the Barrows. We talk to Osin and hire Vlad, a fighter with hide armor, shield, and helm, and main whose main weapon is a Morningstar. Also coming to our party is Constans, a fighter with scale armor, a shield, and a helm, and main weapon of a sword. And lastly, joining us is a kid named Petro, who will be our torchbearer. Finn takes pity on him and gives him his old dagger. The trip from Helix to the Barrows is about four hours. Back into the Barrows we go, and we run into a group of three zombies. Um, we survive the encounter with little harm. Next room we go to, Constans sees a skeleton holding a swag bag. He gets shiny object syndrome and runs in after it. As he runs into the room, a giant spider drops on him and <laughs> hits him with a critical hit. Unfortunately for Constans, the spider ends up uh, killing him. The spider then eyes up little Petro and psychs the life out of him before we finish off the spider. Across the hall was a uh, 
room sealed off with a portcullis, which Finn managed to sneak into after the rest of the team lifted the bars up. There was one secret door in the room which led to a crypt, which in turn had seven zomb- or six zombies in it. Finn promptly shuts the door and gets out of there. Next up is the room with a broken doorknob. We open the door and see a table-like structure in the middle of the room. A blue apparition rises up off the table and walks towards us. We notice the doorway area is cold and gets colder as the thing gets closer to us. All of a sudden, Orson freaks out, has a breakdown, and runs away. We head off chasing Orson, and just when we find him, we also attract the attention of three giant beetles uh, that were after him and now are interested in us. We manage to kill them without much issue, and Orson seems to be coming back to reality. Next, on our way back, we come uh, to the room where Ivan was killed and see his body, which all of a sudden rises up to attack us. He kept fumbling on his attack, and we finally put him down. Took his magic dagger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they gave a magic dagger to their henchmen. And, or maybe he just had it. I can't remember exactly how that came about. On the way out, Finn almost fell into a pit, but made his save. Um, next session, heading down a hall looking for a way back, we are met by five giant flies. Vlad is killed by them. And next up is Finn, who is also killed by them. Orson casts Sleep Spell and one gets away, which is then killed. On the way out of the barrows, Takuli is killed by a zombie. <laughs> now, this is one of my favorite parts of the barrel maze. So this was a really a pretty short session because, uh, as, as Bill writes up, um, his PC was, was killed in like the first encounter with these giant flies and one of their henchmen. So, and I think the whole party was pretty beat up. I remember Orson, the magic user, I think had been hit and only had a couple hit points. And he was just like, let's get out of here. So they climbed the rope and uh, I rolled and there was a wandering monster out in the barrow fields. And uh, so they see this like corpse kind of staggering around. And uh, Adam was, felt like he was really close to going up in level and wanted to get as squeeze out as many experience points as he could so that he could get to second level. So he starts throwing missile weapons and stuff at the, at the zombie while Orson's like, I don't want any part of this. I just want to get back to town. So he's heading off and stops at the edge of the barrel field to watch. And to Cooley, finally the, the, he hits the corpse a couple of times, the sling or something and it falls to the ground in the in the fog. He just sees it fall down. So he goes up to check the body to see if there's any any goods, if it has any treasure on it or whatever. Well, this wasn't just a zombie or skeleton or something. It was actually a coffer corpse. So it was immune to normal weapons, but it it aped, you know, dying basically once it reached quote unquote zero hit points from normal weapons. It hadn't actually taken any damage, but it just fell down, kind of playing dead. It was a crafty zombie, as I think Bill and John dubbed it. So Takuli gets up there, he's rifling the corpse, trying to find treasure, and the coffer corpse reaches out and starts throttling him, strangling him by the neck, and Takuli's like whacking on him with his his club, or I can't remember what kind of weapon he had. Um, And it's not doing anything, because this thing's immune to 
normal weapons, and he gets choked out and killed, so... <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of funny how he was just trying to, you know, score just a few more experience points, and, and a little bit more loot, and... Alas, poor Takuli. Alright, I gotta go to work now, so I'll finish this up later. I wonder, when the danger comes, we will face it. Alright, so we left off with uh, Takuli and Finn perishing in and around the barrel maze. So the next session has Adam now playing a human cleric named Zoran, and Bill playing a dwarven fighter named Sivrin. So Zorin and Sivrin find themselves hitching a ride into the village of Helix on a cart for their protection services. The driver of the cart tells them that last week's shipment of silver going to the village of Irongard Mott was raided by a band of goblins and orcs working together. They dispatched most of the party guarding the shipment and others were taken away. Only a couple made it back to Helix. The Silver Standard Trading Company is offering five silver pieces per head of an orc or goblin to clean up this problem. When the new pair of adventurers get into Helix to see some commotion going around in the middle of town, they decide to get a closer look, and along with other townsmen, they see an elf showing off some fancy-looking pots to a portly halfling who seems pleased with their find. So that was, that was Orson, John's character. After the crowd breaks up, the pair head over to the Silver Standard Trading Company uh, to get some more information on the bounty and what happened to the party that got raided. Turgan, the manager, tells them that when he uh, heard the survivors were taken to the north towards the Weirdwood Forest. With this information now in hand, they head over to the Brazen Strumpet for some good ale, a hearty meal, and try to recruit some more some help to go goblin hunting. Livia, the barmaid at the strumpet, agrees to help them find some help and has a very interesting way of getting the attention of the patrons of the strumpet. Livia's actions, while seemingly unconventional, prove effective and generate the needed response. First over to talk is a dwarf named Orin Brokenshield. Since Zoran and Sivrin have little money, they ask Orin to join them as a full, uh, for a full share on the bounty, and he agrees. Next up are a pair of humans named Lev and Hawk. Lev is a big hulking man, while Hawk is, well, not. Herm, come on. I don't need your help on this podcast. Uh, hoping that the, with the name of Hawk, he has some special abilities or keen senses, but when we ask him why they call him Hawk, he turns sideways to show off his profile, a pronounced hook nose. Armed with only daggers, they agree to be henchmen for one silver piece per day. Last up is Lucky Bjorn, a human fighter from the north. He also agrees to come along for an equal share on the bounty. The newly assembled party head out on the trail towards the ambush site. Along the way, they run into a pair of humans heading to Helix. They tell them that they have heard bounty hunters from Irongard Mott captured a couple goblins who didn't give up much information other than that they were doing the master's work and we're in a ravine near the wood, weird wood forest. We make it to the ambush site and find the wrecked cart and decomposing humanoids. Advancing up the path some more, we then start skirting the edge of the weird wood, but the forest itself is too thick to enter. As it's now getting dark, we agree to find a spot to set up a cold camp for the night, taking turns on watch. 
<laughs> rearranging things. Uh, we make it through the night without any encounters. In the morning, we can smell the scent of wood smoke in the breeze from the north. Zoran climbs a tree and sees the smoke rising from the north. Using that as our guide, we keep heading along the edge of the forest until we find what looks like a game trail. As we enter the forest, the game trail opens up and looks more like a pretty well-used path through the bramble. Following the trail, we find ourselves at the opening of a small ravine with a cave entrance at our level to our left and another cave entrance to our right that is about 50 feet up on the side of the cliff. Entering the cave on the left, we find it splits to the left, right, and dead, dead end straight ahead. Sivern and Orin head towards the dead end when they almost fall into a hidden pit but narrowly keep their balance and head back to the rest of the party where it is decided to head to the right. The path on the right shortly comes to a T, and we can hear some commotion coming from the right. Sivern peers around the corner and sees some goblins who look like they are gambling, hoping to get the drop on them. Orin and Zoran unleash their arrows on them, but alas, <laughs> we were a little too noisy and didn't really surprise them. In the end, we mopped up six goblins, with Hawk a little too afraid to enter the fray. He stays back holding a torch. As we are... Mopping up and cutting off the heads for the bounty, a huge ten-foot-tall giant appears out of a secret door. Sivern promptly attacks with two devastating blows and kills the giant. Just as we are feeling good about our journey uh, at this point, Orin, who is guarding our back, alerts us six more goblins heading our way. In the ensuing battle, Lucky Bjorn runs out of luck and is gored to death by Goblin Spear. We dispatch five of the six when the sixth turns tail and runs away. Zoran chases him down and finishing, finishes off the retreating goblin. Just as we talk about collecting the remaining heads of the goblins, we hear a bell, some sort of alarm gong going off, uh, coming from the area we have yet to explore. And that ended. Oh, and there's a little picture of the uh, battle mat here, too. Cool. So this might s sound familiar to you, a certain old module that I was just using as a kind of a filler, because the, the players felt like they needed to advance a level or something, get some kind of experience before they headed back into the barrel maze. Plus, it was just uh, the two players at that session, Bill and, and Adam. So the next session, our intrepid group starts tonight back in Helix to collect the bounty on the collected heads. Um, bringing in 35 silver pieces makes the poor party happy. We then head over to the strumpet where our big guy Lev starts the celebration. After partaking in some ale and food, Zoran, Sivrin, and Oren decide it's time to recruit more help to finish cleaning up the mess back at the ravine. We decide to use the services of Livia, the barmaid, again and turn, in, turn her into our marketing agent. After we pay her a silver piece to help us get our start our efforts, we are rewarded with three new party members. First up is Kravgar, a dwarven fighter who seems eager to get some action. Then we find ourselves talking to Durlin. Durin, I think is what his name was. A, a beanpole of a human who just, who's just off the turnip farm. Literally just came in from the, into the strumpet from his turnip farm, looking for a way to make some money. Armed with a dagger club and spool of wire, we are skeptical, but welcome him aboard. Last up is Calder, a human fighter with a crossbow. We tell Lev he can have Bjorn's armor when we get back to the cave where his body lies. He seems happy with that. So off we go towards the caves where we are sure the goblins are waiting for us, but we need the money. 
and feel we have a team that can handle anything that they can throw at us. It takes a drive travel to get close to the ravine where the entrance to the cave is, so we set up cold camp about an hour away. In the second watch of the night, we are woken by the noise of what appears to be six orcs headed our way. Perfect, we have plenty of time to set up an ambush and unleash hellfire on them and easily knock them out. But, well, best laid plans and all. We surprise the group and unleash our hellfire of crossbows, javelins, hand axes, and short bow arrows on the unsuspecting orcs. We all miss, <laughs> except the human Calder, who is at least, uh, who is at a disadvantage to start with due to the darkness, but he takes out an orc uh, in the back of the party and drops him on the spot. Startled, the leader of the orcs, after seeing all the hardware flying through the air past him, spots Zoran and points him out, but the initial return fires is ineffective as ours. Sivran then takes a crit hit from acid damage, and thoughts of death are creeping into his head. Meanwhile, Zorn hits the leader with his bow, and we send our mighty turnip farmer across the path with his spool of wire, which works to our advantage and does trip up an orc heading at Zoran. After some back-and-forth fighting, Lev the ogre slayer is killed by an orc's hand axe. Poor guy, if he only had Bjorn's armor. Zoran walks up to the orc that was hung up on the tripwire, and uh, delivers the coup de grace to finish him off. In the end, the injured leader and the remaining orcs retreat back into the forest. After a quick burial for Lev and a rest, we push on to the caves. At the entrance, the, the dwarves head in first, when from the back we are ambushed. Luck was on our side and nobody was hit. Zoran has the rest of the party form a shield wall and advance on the ambushing goblins where even the mighty torchbearer Hawk gets in a couple of hits, and they handily dispatch the ambushing goblins. Back at the cave entrance, things don't go so well. Kravgar is pierced by a goblin arrow and crumples to his death. Sivrin takes yet another crit hit for big damage. Next, Orin is hit, and he also succumbs to his injuries and dies. While Hawk is hastily cutting off the heads of the dead goblins outside the cave, we see... The two dwarven heads come flying out of the cave at us, which terrifies the, terrifies the turnip farmer, and he turns tail and runs off into the woods. Not being totally stupid, seeing the overwhelming number of goblins waiting for us at the cave mouth, we beat a hasty retreat. And let's see, next up I think we actually get back to Barrel Maze. Word on the street is Quincy the coroner and his assistant Sam are rather disappointed on their lack of work of late. <laughs> That's in reference to another page in our, in the Halberds and Henchmen page that is called the Coroner's Report, which just details the, the demise of the various hirelings, henchmen, charmed monsters, and PCs in this campaign. We pick up the adventure as Zoran heads back to the Church of Krom to pay penance for our seemingly f uh, poor fighting skills over the last few encounters with the goblins and orcs. Meanwhile, Sivern, Hawk, and Calder join forces with Orson and Gren Bastard back in Helix. Orson has the brilliant idea of heading into the local church in Helix to see if a cleric would like to join us back at the Barrow Maze, but alas, they have heard that story before and decline. Instead, offer us some holy water for the sum of 30 silver pieces per vial. Next stop is to talk to Osen, the mercenary uh, agent, about getting more meat or... Uh, hirelings to help us fight the nasties in the barrel maze. He agrees to send some our way to pick from, but is concerned on the lack of his men that are returning. We then head over to 
Karg to see if he can make us some silver weapons. He agrees at the cost of 200 silver pieces plus the cost of the weapons each. After meeting the henchmen that Osin send us, send us, we end up with a motley party consisting of Spiro, a sailor cleric, Nico and Darko, uh, henchmen men that are brothers, Ephraim and Victor, torchbearers, and then Calder and Hawk agree to stay on. So off we head to the barrel maze. On the way, we encounter ten, ten froglings who jumped us. Darko gets impaled by a frog, frogling spear, and we all thought he was heading to the morgue. But we make uh, pretty quick work of the froglings after Gar- Darko goes down. Spiro is able to save Darko, leaving Quincy and Sam disappointed. On the way to the barrel maze, we try to find Takuli's corpse and the items he had, but all we find is a stain on the ground where Orson said the body was last seen. Enter the barrel maze. Orson and Gren Bastard guide us to the start of the barrel maze that they want to explore. Heading down the corridor, we see two crystal-looking statues of warriors. They don't move, but their heads seem to follow us as we pass by. Past the statues are four doors, two on either side of the corridor. The first door is ajar, and Sivrin heads in. He is greeted by a blue apparition that tries to persuade us to go away. Sivrin makes him go away by sprinkling him with holy water. The second room's door is broken, and we enter to find two tablets in the middle of the room. Spiro and Orson check them out and determine they are of divine magic and uh, that bolster morale, bless spells. The third room proves to be more of a challenge, and Sivrin has to open it by pounding on it with a chisel. Very noisy. The noise attracts four zombies. Orson immediately unleashes magic missile, and Spiro tries to turn them but fails. As this is going on, a mummy appears out of the door we had just opened. Sivrin panics and runs away. This is when Hawk reveals his true self and fires a magic missile at the mummy. Hawk manages to put down the mummy with a second magic missile after he suffers some minor damage from it. Sivrin is still running away in terror. Meanwhile, the rest of the crew is putting down the zombies. After Sivrin regained his composure, we check out the room where the mummy came from and find a gold necklace. At this point, we decide to head back to Helix, where Orson immediately buys five more vials of holy water. Hawk also spills the beans that he is an apprentice apprentice of Musa. Musa is the resident mage of Helix who uh, has so far rebuffed Orson's attempts to contact him and and I think Orson was hoping to swap sp- some spells or have him as some kind of patron or something but Musa is rather aloof but they find out that Hawk is his apprentice. After getting back into Barrow Maze we check out the last door which is also locked. Hawk tries to pick it, but has no luck. So back to the chisel and pounding. After the door is open, we find three old caskets with remains in them. As we check them out, we are greeted by five skeletons heading towards Gren, who smashes the first. They are emanating a blue light from gems embedded in their skulls. The one that Gren smashed starts to get back up. After much fighting, we finish them off. My note trailing off here, and everyone lives to venture another day. All right, then we have, I put some clarified rulings on here. 
Yet another group of adventurers entered the wonderful world of halberds and henchmen. I, you know, that's nothing. That was the other group played a little bit of H and H. It was a test session. And where the heck is the next? Here we go. July 29th at Fantasy Flight Game Center. Who's next? <laughs> and Bill posted a picture of uh, the Who's album cover. Who's next? We start our intrepid group back in Helix. Orson is retiring in his chambers to study while the rest of us decide to head back to the Barrows. Some new members of the party include Darian and Robin. That was, I think, we're Chris and his son Brody. Uh, Spiro tries to get the NPCs to break ranks and go with him and uh, and the, one of their other henchmen or hirelings named Simeon, who <laughs> Orson had been kind of teasing mercilessly over his name, calling him Monkey Boy. Zoran tells us he thinks Spiro is a cleric of a squid demon. Uh, and he was. He's a, a cleric of Pierre, the tentacled whisperer of impossible secrets. As we make our way to the barrel, we hear some pounding coming from what seems to be an obelisk. As we make our way to the obelisk, we can tell it's coming from further away. The obelisk itself appears to be about 15 feet tall and has a skull carved at the top. We make our way towards the pounding and see another small barrow. Darian walks over the top of it and sees... Oh, Darian is Jim's character. Uh, not Chris's. Uh, he was a elven like fighter magic user, I believe. Uh, so Darian walks over the top of it and sees eight figures most human, but also an elf is part of the group. After quick negotiations break down... Uh, things go south fast. Darian casts a sleep spell and puts down five. After a fast fight, we kill all but two who escape into the swamp. Gren Bastard leads the looting of the, uh, of the party, and we head back to Helix with our bounty. The next day, we go back to the main barrow that we are familiar with. We work our way to the room where previously fought the giant snake and begin moving from there. The first room, we find a frog-like statue, and we hear a dwarf... Uh, yelling yelling for help. After some trials, we get Arn Cobblestone rescued from the pit where his old party had left him for dead. We then press on and enter a room with eight humans in it. This is where things get fuzzy for Sivrin and his memory is foggy. In other words, this is where Bill kind of stopped taking notes, I think. And the, the actual, like, attack of the NPC party, <laughs> as I recall it, I don't remember precisely, but I don't think there were really many negotiations. I think Jim just kind of, like, dropped the sleep spell on them quite quickly. And, uh, um, just kind of mur murder-hoboed it, I guess. Um, let's see. Some more clar rules clarifications. Lanyard. Noun. A cord passed around the neck, shoulder, or wrist for holding a knife, whistle, or similar object. This is Siv's after-action report, August 19th. Our band of adventurers decide to check out an abandoned halfling farm about five miles south of Helix that Hawk is aware of and is mentioned in the documents found in the ivory scroll tube. So, I think the, um, they had uh, gone to this abandoned halfling farm and uh, cleared it out. There were some past some, like, giant shrews inhabiting 
this uh, kind of like bag end kind of thing with a surrounding farm. And they transformed it into their base of operations. And nearby was a um, a mushroom cave filled with all these crazy mushrooms and stuff. What I discovered and what I tend to discover in general while running and playing in Mega Dungeons is that the, the players tend to get kind of weary of the continual delve into these extensive dungeons, especially ones that are mm, rather lethal or where they they aren't fortunate in finding a whole lot of tre- treasure and they get um, a little bit discontent with just this endless delving. I think it's fine. You know, you can certainly run a mega dungeon and, and, um, and have the understanding with the players that, Hey, this is the game. And that's kind of how Keith runs things. It's like, we know, yeah, this, the, the mega dungeon is the game. So spear to the game, just keep, keep delving, but it, it can get rather tedious. And I was providing these clues or other options for people to not, you know, just continually go onto the barrel maze if they didn't really want to. And, and honestly, they, um, they kind of grabbed almost everything, every little crumb that I put out there that wasn't going back to the barrel maze. So I was, I was starting to get the feeling that the long-term mega dungeon wouldn't really be uh, a solution for the uh, uh, for the entire campaign, but I gotta, I'm gonna sift through here and see if I can get us back to the actual barrel maze. There can't be more than fifty of them. I'll be fine. No, no. All right, I'm probably going on the verge of droning on way, way too long about all this, but I started it, so might as well finisher out. Okay, so this goes all the way back to February 12th, 2018, so nearly a year after the, well, almost exactly a year after the whole campaign started. And this has, the attendees are Adam, who's now running Groon, um, another dwarf. Um, I think Adam's cleric Zoran had gotten killed by a ghoul. Bill, who's still running Zivran. Keith, who has joined the game and is running Fausto with a cleric, and Chris, who's running the character Kazmut, who is a astrologer. The party returned to the proud village of Helix. Fausto immediately led the party to the Imperial Temple and met with the acolyte Sarah and Father Octavian. Alas, the ailment of wrath, uh, who is uh, Chris's son's character, uh, was too much for the power of the uh, of Father Octavian. He was able to sell the party a scroll of curing disease, which uh, healed wrath. Seen around the village was graffiti that said, Dark skies, all rise. The party saw it on the tavern. The party had, headed for uh, to the tavern and picked up rumors such as, The senator's daughter from Derrickon has been speaking with, the, with Duke Kell's son, Athos. Uh, they had seen her camp. They had flown in on some uh, enormous birds and were kind of intrigued by that. 
Kasmut and Fausto went to visit Olas, the advisor to the Lord of Helix. He's a Weasley fellow. They chatted about the events. Olas later was seen riding around the village on horse with two guards. Alistair, the village idiot, was seen by party members sneaking out and painting the above-mentioned graffiti. Um, the party patrolled the village uh, for a couple of nights while the party members had uh, healed and had their armor repaired. Um, encounter with Spiros, the Spiro the cleric, party agreed to return to Barrow Maze with Hirelings Hawk, Gaius, and Cornelius. Arn Cobblestone returned to the Dwarven home country for further religious studies. On the way into the deeper maze, party ran into Spiro the cleric and an old hireling, Simeon. Uh, although bit, a bit of a cold encounter, there was no violence. They found a dead and stripped body of a dwarf, sucked dried out, whose name was Trenkar. They fought two ghouls, ghouls while exploring, fought three spiders discovered in a room, written in several languages, including ancient Nithian. Dark skies all rise. The party to end, party decides to end their exploration there. Um, the next one has Groon, Sivrin, um, Grenbastard, Darien, Fausto, Robin... So a pretty big party. They they return to the barrow maze, examine the obelisk, which is a great skull on top of a ten foot, which with ruins around it. The party chose to return to the arm of the dungeon crypts that they had started previously. They successfully avoided any hostiles and get past the gargoyle statue room. The group enters a big room with pillars and sixteen slabs with dead humans. Some were wrapped in bandages, others were mere skeletons. Suddenly they came alive. Fausto the muddy cleric turned eight of them, uh, putting his faith in Bane, and charged four more. Sivrin, more of a practical dwarf, rushes to save the bold priest, who will die for dubious causes, like being outnumbered four to one. Fausto exchanged mighty blows and took some. With Sivrin in battle, Fausto could heal himself. The party soon was able to cut down the rest of the combined skeleton zombies. Gruen, doing his thieving business, managed to unlock a box of treasure and some doors. One of the rooms past was already looted, uh, but had the pic had a picture of a setting sun, so like a fresco or something. Gruen unlocked one particular door, which was occupied by a ghoul and her four mummy cats. Together they crooned to produce a fear spell. Neil and Ian bravely ran away, <laughs> but ran into four more skeletons coming in the op from the opposite direction. Fausto was able to remove Sivrin's fear. The party is trapped three ways, but through their cunning and the author's attempts to keep this short, they win. Special note to Orson that conjured up a swarm of bats that destroyed, uh, destroyed the skeletons like they were sandpaper. They help turn the tide. Powerful is the magic of Orson. Despite being wounded, the party pushes on. In the next room, Groon, that Groon unlocked was the fresco of Death's Door. Four ghouls jump them out to surprise the young dwarf scout. That's Groon. Thanks to his mighty endurance gifted from his noble family, he survived paralysis yet was wounded. The mighty Sivrin and Grenbastard came in swinging their 
weapons. Fausel leaned in and looked at the ghouls and simply waved his article in faith and said, Begone! and turned all five. The party successfully uh, then slayed them. Uh, a few other rooms were explored. One looted had a fresco of a night sky. Eventually the party returned to the room of howling cats. The ghoul and his evil feline minions were dispatched and there was much rejoicing. Druin explored one more alcove, but it was mostly empty. Treasure total, five chalices, an offering bowl, two bowls of grave offerings, a box, mace covered with runes of glyphs dedicated to Bane, given to Fausto. And then uh, 339 silver, 150 copper, 10 gold. I think that is the end of the log. So I was I was kind of changing in Barrel Maze. There is kind of a theme to it. There's a underlying... Uh, goal that the the players can eventually discover and pursue but like i said i was kind of getting the feeling that the the party was not going to be going through this long term so i started creating this this story thread where alistair the village idiot was kind of the canary in the coal mine and he was having these visions and feeling almost compelled to uh to write in graffiti around the village as, as kind of a warning, this dark skies all rise. And they started finding frescoes and, uh, and writings and stuff in the barrel maze with a prophecy similar to that and stuff. And what I had in mind and what eventually played out was that there was going to be an eclipse. So the, there's this foretold event where this, where the barrel maze would just, or what I had is uh, a rival NPC party like cracked open one of the barrows and unleashed a horde of skeletons and zombies uh, led by some more powerful undead. And they attacked the village of Helix while an eclipse was going on. And there was a, a big uh, battle that the, the party took pardon uh the skeletons and zombies successfully like killed i think the clerics of the, in the church and a fire broke out in the building during the assault um they also i think burned down or destroyed a couple other buildings and then led a final assault on the the lord's manor where the players decided to hole up and make their last stand and there was a, a big siege battle that took place there where the party eventually was successful in beating off the, or finally <laughs> ending the threat where the more intelligent undead leaders, like, just left. And we had kind of left the the game there. At that point, John had kind of, had been hinting that he wanted to start up a game. And I felt like this was a pretty good place to leave things off for the time being. And he started a 5e game, which kind of, hiccuped and sputtered along for a little while but by the time it finally became obvious that uh, that campaign wasn't going to last um, it had been so long since we played Halberds and Henchmen game and Barrel Maze that it just kind of went off quietly into the night and has never been resumed so it was um, it was a really fun game I really regret not going to bat for that game more and trying to um instead of 
just playing this the other game 5e for all our game sessions instead like lobbying for an every other kind of thing and keeping it alive but um you know that's how things go sometimes so anyway um thanks for listening uh i i do highly recommend all of the the mega dungeons that greg gillespie's put out barrel maze is my favorite of the three i own there's also forbidden caverns of archaia and uh, high fell the floating dungeon they all have the one the one great thing about all of them i think is that they're all easily used in a modular fashion uh forbidden caverns is uh kind of an homage to like the the keep on the borderlands and the caves of chaos so like caves of chaos you can use all those caves as just separate layers for monsters and use them wherever you want and high fell the floating dungeon likewise has all these different uh wizards towers and stuff that you can easily just use you could use it as a whole like you can with all these to have them as a um a thematic mega dungeon or you can split it up and use it however you see fit and like barrel maze the other products have great art have a bunch of new monsters bunches of new magic items and spells um, npcs rival adventuring parties yeah they're not cheap not gonna sugarcoat it but i think the the quality is is there warrants the investment um if you don't own any of them i'd i'd really endorse at least buying the pdf but uh and there's a new one coming out uh Duaro delph i believe is what it's called something like that it's supposed to come out this summer i didn't take part in the kickstarter just because i know they they all eventually go up on uh, drive through and the the kickstarter campaign um just is fulfilled through drive through anyway so i think you might save a little bit of money by by backing the kickstarter but yeah, from what I remember, there there weren't really any stretch goals or anything, or um, and it was it's not like it wasn't going to fulfill. So it's not like my contributions were going to, you know, prevent it from <laughs> from meeting its uh, its uh, dollar value goals. It's uh, it far 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 exceeded that. So anyway, I I'm sure I'll eventually purchase that one as well. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I'll stop droning on. Uh, I've also neglected uh, the contest uh, for the next uh, free issue of the Mitterzine, and that will be my next podcast. Hopefully I'll play all the messages about henchmen I got, uh, in, as well as some call-ins just talking about henchmen and stuff in my next episode, which I'll try to get out in the next few days. But no promises, I'm just not really feeling it lately. And uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Don't go down in a heap.